Hello and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most occupied city between Sterling and Cortez. Today we will talk about the Listeria Hysteria, farm-to-table restaurants, and announce plans to celebrate our 50th episode. My name is Josh Johnson, and with me is Diatribe co-conspirator Jared and our guest Laura Shank, food critic at the Westward. How is everyone? I'm doing well, Josh. I'm doing well also. Glad to hear it. Jared, uh, you have a big announcement for us, don't you? Yes, we've actually gotten our shit together enough to organize a live taping of our number 50 podcast episode. It is going to be titled the Love and Hate Fest, Denver Diatribe Podcast Episode 50. It will be taking place at Forest Room 5 at It's at 2532 15th Street right there in the Lower Highlands on Wednesday, October 12th. So coming up here really quick. Yeah. Is that next next week? Yeah, I I think it is. It's next Wednesday. I I, I haven't looked at my calendars or any. It was just hard enough for us to choose a name, a place, and a date. Right. And now now it's the easy part, which is organizing the fucking thing. So uh, why would people want to come to it? Well, we're gonna. It's not just gonna be us sitting around yakking to each other like normal. We're actually going to have um, some different guests, some different people voicing their love and hates. So everyone's familiar with our patented love and hates rant set section at the end, but th- this entire episode is just going to be filled with a bunch of love and hates. And so we have uh, some local luminaries that will come up and give their love and hates, and then at the end we'll be inviting uh, people from the audience to come up to the microphone and share what they want to love or hate on about life in the Mile High City. So we're coming, we're coming out of the closet of sorts, into the public, into the light of day. I know. Hmm. Hope there's no assassination attempt. Should I wear my Kevlar jacket? Uh, I don't know, but do you think we should shave our beards? Yeah, no. <laughs> I might trim mine. Um, so yeah, next Wednesday we hope you all will join us and we'll try to uh, broadcast that out through our social media and invite your friends, uh, let everybody know. Definitely. It's going to be fun. Okay, moving on to our first topic, Listeria Hysteria. It is not a Def Leppard album from the 80s. I just like the fact that, you know, how, how many diseases actually rhyme with something like hysteria? It's like the scientists who discovered this wanted to make it the easiest as possible for journalists to come it up with It really headlines. is. It is. And I guess the first approach to this, because this, you know, the, the Listeria outbreak happened in the middle of September, and I'm sure everybody's heard about it. It's being covered worldwide. The cantaloupes. But uh, more recently, uh, proponents of Denver's paid sick leave initiative sent out a mailer that features a cantaloupe next to a bowl of pasta and sort of alludes to that maybe if your food prepar- preparer is ill, that you might get sick. Now, you can't get Listeria from a f- food preparation. So... Did they go too far with this? Well, the, the, the people who were against Initiative 300, uh, namely the restaurant industry and um, anyone who employs people in Denver pretty much, say that, yeah, it went, it went too far. You're drawing a um, – you're sort of using this contagion, this outbreak as a way to scare people into voting for, for this initiative when the hysteria outbreak had, you know, didn't happen in Denver – it, as far as we know, had nothing to do with workers who were 
sick or infected. So why, uh, you know, why draw that connection is what they say. Sure. Yeah. And they even had on it, like what, it was hepatitis A at a North Carolina Olive Garden reference. I mean, you know, it's marketing. So I guess more power to him on that. But I think it is a little bit, um, you know, especially since this industry is, it really does affect the restaurant industry and you do have this food scare for, you know, for good reasons, people are nervous about, um, produce right now, connecting the two together. Um, I guess it's all fair in politics, but. So Laura, in your service experience, do do you think people, what are the chances? What's, what's the, the threat of getting sick from sick workers, someone who's maybe under the weather with a flu or something preparing your food? I mean, I think there's definitely, there is a threat. There is no doubt that there are, um, you know, there are some issues with that, especially depending on what that employee has, uh, you know, but however, I think that most employees who truly are sick, you know, restaurants have policies in place right now in order to deal with that situation. Um, and I can certainly see concerns, you know, this sound, it's one of those things where this sounds like a really good idea for, uh, rest for, for everyone on paper, it looks really good, you know, most rush or tours don't begrudge people taking days off when they're sick because like you, you know, as you allude to, there is a risk of getting other people ill. But the issue is that the way some of these things are worded, the way that restaurants are going to have to deal with them is by hiring more people, um, you know, and cutting back everyone's hours and their shifts and things like that. And that, you know, isn't great for that isn't great for anyone most restaurant employees want to work as many hours as they possibly can not all of them but but a lot of them and they're probably not going to love it when their hours get cut back sure and and josh you and i had talked about the uh this initiative when it was uh first being conjured up and now it's on the november 1st ballot and you you were in support of um the paid sick leave initiative and i kind of was a little bit you know more wary of it but you know this mailer do you uh do you think it was uh, out of bounds? Yeah, it was out of bounds, but I don't necessarily think that that's bad. I mean, if you want to win an election, you go out of bounds. I mean, it's kind of – I mean, do you think that – I guess to, if it went too far from a tactical standpoint, the question is, do you think that this turned people away from your uh, side of the issue? Do you think that anybody is now against these people, against the proponents? No, I mean, when you look at the mailer, I mean, it was pretty ingenious. I mean, they didn't say – Listeria outbreak. I mean, there's just a big picture of a half of a cantaloupe and a bowl of pasta, sure. right? And so it's just that you're relying on people who have heard about the Listeria outbreak, heard about tainted cantaloupes, and are scared about it just to make that mental connection themselves. And by uh, you know devious political political mailing terms, it's pretty tame. I mean, during the last midterm election, I mean, how many horrendously disgusting mailings that we get about Ken Buck or uh, Michael Bennett or any of these other things where they try to paint the an actual human being as a complete child molester in any way that they can so that people won't vote for them. So, I mean, on one hand, it, yeah, it may have been a little bit out of bounds, but, you know, I think that the proponents of this need to do everything they can to make the point that they need to make, which is, you know, be careful, you know, you need to support this initiative so that Workers don't get sick and therefore make you sick, so they found an expedient way to do that. Yeah, and I guess that's what I'm saying is from a pur- purely practical, you're running a campaign standpoint, um, it makes se- sense, and it seems on par, if not even a little more mild than some of the other tactics that are used. 
think it seems mild, but at the same time, I mean, I imagine anybody who knows about some of the issues that you brought up with Listeria, it would be a turn off too to see a mailer with something so clearly not connected. Um, you know, it's seen as a cheap political ploy, just like those sorts of ads. So, you know, you're right, out of bounds. It probably did make the connect, you know, it made, like I said at the beginning, more power to him as far as the marketing goes. But I think it'd be interesting to, you know, to see did this help them or hurt them um, from a voter's and, and then the other question is, is when a, when a fruit can conjure up such negative thoughts in people's minds, just the image of it. Sure. What does this mean for the future of cantaloupe? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's interesting <laughs> you bring that up because I, I looked up Listeria on Wikipedia where we all go to find out anything about anything we don't necessarily know about immediately. Um, and you're reading through it and it says Listeria can affect uh, fruits or raw uh, vegetables, raw meat, raw fruits. And then, it, and then it has a parenthetical phrase that says, like cantaloupe. Oh. And it's the only one that gives an example. It's not like raw meat like chicken, you know, raw vegetables like carrots, raw fruit like cantaloupe. And, it, and then you look, and it's actually footnoting a Guardian article about this breakout. Yeah, that's interesting because they also just recalled a bunch of lettuce for listeria reasons, too. So, oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that must have been something that was added to the Wikipedia article recently, clearly. Right. Hey, I'm going to go on and do cantaloupe and lettuce now. Which is a good segue to our next Listeria uh, topic here. There appears to be, uh, I was reading that Colorado is the only state that outlaws libel against fruits and vegetables. Against produce, really? Uh huh, that's according to Westward. I got that from Westward. We're the only ones, yeah. And you can't. How do you liable a? Do you know more about this, Laura? I don't know the I don't know the technical the legal framework against it, but it's essentially you can't do what the state of Colorado did and kind of say Rocky Ford. Rocky Ford, especially since in this case it wasn't actually Rocky Ford; it was a farm a hundred miles away from Rocky Ford, where the where the listeria came from in the first place. Yeah. And so and so the 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 humongous fat cats that run the cantaloupe industry can therefore say you know hold public officials or other people saying that you've you've sort of unfairly uh, tainted the image yeah, of this particular I mean, piece of produce in the public's mind, and therefore mm-hmm. you, what, can you sue the state? Whoever said it, right, whoever made the libelous statement. I mean, essentially look at it this way, is if you say make a statement against some, some uh, dairy farm um, and their milk, you can't in other states be libelous against a dairy farm. You can't say that their milk is going to make you sick without proof. Right, but you can say milk may make do this. Um, whereas here, if you say cantaloupe may make you sick, without even talking about, there is there yeah, is yeah. there's well, probably I mean, lobbyists it, it is, out there that'll sue you for libel. I mean, and, and of the course, cantaloupe. I mean, they, this happens every single time. There's a big recall, or there's um, you know whether it's salmonella, what came from different you know a chicken processing plant, or all these different things. But uh, you know, I I find it pretty interesting if this if any lawsuit was actually uh, wagered against the state because public health officials, I mean, don't they have a job and a responsibility to say things like, well, we've, we've tracked this illness Mm -hmm. out of all these different things. You know, they dispatch people very thoroughly everywhere and look at every single case and then they track it back and they try to find exactly where it originated from. And if it came from Rocky Ford cantaloupe, what are they like a distributor or do they take, Rocky Ford. Rocky yeah. Ford is a region. It's a region. So yeah. So what happened in this case is the eventually after this whole you know after this 
Rocky Ford Recall or, you know, whatever they were terming it as, they discovered that the listeria, can, like the cantaloupes that caused this outbreak could all be traced back to one particular farm. And it wasn't even in Rocky Ford? It no, it's it Jensen Farms in Holly. Ooh, yeah. Holly. Yep. Right. However, that article, that same article actually goes on to say that in this case, um, you know, whatever department it was that originally made this statement, they're immune from this issue. So they actually can't be sued. It um, was the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. Right. So yeah. so talked about the fact that this wouldn't actually lead to a suit in this case. Right. And I, I agree with you, Jared. I mean, I think that that goes too far to, to, to sue the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment for warning people about the possibility of getting sick from eating a fruit, um, even if you're speaking generally, even if you're not talking about a specific region falsely. I mean, you really have to get out there immediately and say it. And if, if they feel like they're going to get sued for speaking too soon before they have actual facts to back up what they're saying, I mean, there's, what, at least 13 people died from this? I mean, if you don't say avoid cantaloupe for fear of, of getting sued for libel, how many other people are going to die yeah, I mean, the, I think that I am with you on the. Yeah, you know, I don't think that they should be um, they should be sued over this. But there is, you know, there's a major issue here, right? So this farm is 100 miles away from Rocky Ford, and Rocky Ford now is having you know, economic catastrophe essentially because nobody's buying their cantaloupe. And not only that, not only is it that no one is buying their cantaloupe because they're afraid of listeria, it's that. Um, you know, big retailers like King Supers and Safeway have all pulled this cantaloupe off the shelves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there has – maybe not – I don't mean, you know, litigious repercussions, but there has to be some way to sort of correct this error yeah. for the business owners who are now – Because you want to build up – I mean, if you're – you want to build up an area so that, like, Rocky Ford cantaloupe is famous in the way that, like, Hatch Green Chili is. You know, or Palisade peaches. I mean, imagine if it was Palisade peaches. Oh, that'd be a travesty. It would be horrible. I would those still poor, eat them. Those poor peaches. <laughs> I know. I know. And, All they and want to do is just so eat the, a peach, right? And a cantaloupe. I mean, and and their dreams are crushed. So, I mean, there, should there be some sort of of compensation to help them get their name out? Like, hey, our cantaloupe's fine. I mean, should they? Maybe don't sue, but like have big press conference saying we really screwed up. And, and Rocky in, Ford. industries do that all the time. I mean, they'll have big PR campaigns. No, there. but I mean the person that said it, the person that misspoke, the, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, of course, Rocky Ford's going to say that. I think that. that would be a fair solution rather than having to go to court if they if someone did speak out of terms and, and they're a public health official, their responsibility is to be clear and open in their communication with the public. Otherwise, the public doesn't you know that's the way fear spreads that's the way rumors spread and so if there was a rumor started that was based on the public interpretation of some statement that um, a, a public official made then the public official should make it clear well no it's it wasn't technically rocky ford it was outside of rocky ford rock but still it, it might muddle things for people at this point um when they're just focused on trying to get people not to eat cantaloupes for the foreseeable future. Right. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a tough, and it, you know, regard, exactly. They're trying to get people not to eat this cantaloupe. To ta- this, so there's that problem. But then it's also like, you know, you do way more, to, it's the whole thing. You know, you tell, you, something bad, you're going to tell a, a lot more people. Something good, you're going to, you know, you may not pass the word on as quickly. So it's not going to explode in the news the way that the don't eat Rocky Ford cantaloupe. Because it'll make you sick. And, uh, yeah, and that's sort of the point I wanted to get to next is that when news stories break, and this is immediate cri- critique of, of this, um, 
and, and also, you know, a media consumer critique is that when these news stories break and there's little known, people freak out. And then there's a decline after that in coverage as they move on to something that is a freak out. And then as things develop and you find solutions or you find out the real sources, it doesn't get as much attention. Well, I, I, I could talk about cantaloupes all night. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I do want to know from Laura, what, what, what melons should we be eating? If I, if I love a cantaloupe, what else, what else can I do? <laughs> yeah. Well, funny you should ask that. I actually, on Sunday, watermelon usually peaks in the state May between May and August, but this year it's really been, um, it's gone further than that, and there you can actually still get really good watermelon. And you see it at roadside stands and things like that. Um, just put up three recipes on the Westbird blog, if I can give that a little plug. What do you um, do with watermelon? What's a watermelon recipe? Yeah, so a couple of, a couple of different things. Vodka. Um, sal- yeah, so I one was a, one was a watermelon um, jalapeno mojito. That Whoa, was yeah. one nice. recipe. Um, made a watermelon salad with some watermelon mint and goat cheese. Um, and then actually my favorite one it was a recipe from Mark Bittman originally. Um, a little bit adapted, but grill it up like a burger. Top it with a little cheese, swipe it with some olive oil. I know it sounds really what? weird. Add a little bit of like pickles or something salty on top of that, and it, you know, once you grill it, it leaches out some of that juice, and then you right. can just eat it like a burger. And is it caramelized? The sugars in it's it? It's a little caramelized, but it's not as sweet as you would think. Right. So you slap it on a bun, and yeah. You put it on a bun too. Mm-hmm. Dress it like a burger. A little cheese. A little bit of listeria in there. A little bit of listeria. Hopefully not. Hopefully not with the watermelon. Right. Okay, we'll move on to our next topic. Um, I had the idea of talking about it being harvest time or towards the end of harvest. You know, we eat, we eat Thanksgiving is sort of way late. Like all the food's canned, it's not fresh. But this time of year, we tend to think of harvest, and it's the end of um, farmers markets and such. And I guess I'm a little late on food trends, as Laura let me know before this. But um, I was interested in farm-to-table um, restaurants in Denver. And do you want to, it's passe, explain how. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's a little bit, I mean, it's, it cuts a couple of different ways. I think it is passe in that if you're still, um, if you're starting a restaurant or you're opening a restaurant now and you're calling it farm to table, then, you know, you're kind of doing something wrong because I think at this point uh, most most restaurateurs are doing that or they're trying to or they're at least thinking about it. Um, you know, And, and, and for, for the people who... Um, don't, know don't, don't think it's passe or haven't heard of it. Farm to table is basically the idea that you're going to have a direct connection with where you source your uh, produce, right? Yeah, yes. yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, it's you know the or at least that you're going to buy it as locally as possible, and it sort of hinges on that as possible idea, um, you know, because of seasonality and things like that. Um, but you know, I think you so you have this this trend, um, and I wouldn't even call it a trend anymore, I would call it just sort of the way food culture has gone in the past five years, um, past ten years, um, you know, that's, that's really what you should be doing if you're opening a good restaurant, but then you have, you know, that as possible thing is is the flip side of the coin, right, so you have a lot of people, a lot of restaurateurs who think out there talking about, you know, touting their their farms that they get produce from or that they are buying their cheese from or whatever it is, you know, they're scrolling that over the menu and then the Cisco truck is pulling up and back and delivering their, you know, their bulk produce that's been shipped in from out of state and it's, you know, it's not organic. It's not, or it might be organic, but it, you know, it gets into a lot of different issues. So are there, are there some outright fakers 
restaurants in Denver? That you have suspicions of? Do you I have some name speci- names. No, I can't name names. I feel libel. Talk about libeling fruit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I think you know. I think that there are certainly um, there are certainly restaurants that misrepresent uh, what what they're doing behind the scenes. Absolutely. Should there be a some sort of uh, inspection board like they do with organic produce, so you can get a certified farm to table? Yeah, I mean, I think the the question certified farm to table. You know, you you, you start making certification. There's always a loophole, right? So, right. so I don't know about that, but um, I do think, you know, inspection maybe not. But it's like this is you know they want to know their farmers. You want to know your restaurateurs. Get to know them. Get to know what their stance is because there are restaurateurs that will talk to you forever about it, sure. and there are some that will just put it on the menu and never think about it again. It, but I mean, even some of these legitimate farm-to-table restaurants in Denver that have been around for a few years, and maybe you can name a few. But how do they get their produce uh, in the winter? I mean, where do they get it from? I mean, if they can't, they still need to run a restaurant. They still need to mm-hmm. have food there. And if they don't have tomatoes, and you know it's January and they can't get it locally, do they just you know crack and buy it buy it from uh, Florida or wherever? Yeah, I think when I mean, you see. I think you see a lot of different solutions to that question and you do definitely have some, you know, some prominent farm to table that will admit that they bring in produce and fish and, you know, fish actually you're pretty much getting from out of state no matter what time of year you're serving it. I mean, not totally, but for the, for the most part, we don't have, we don't have a lot of ocean here. Um, but, you know, I think there are some, I remember having a conversation with the owner of Potage a few years ago and talking to her a little bit about what she had had done um, to try to keep her menu at least 80% local. And wasn't Potage, what are they, off uh, 6th Avenue? And they were kind of, if I remember correctly, one of the first. I mean, they've been around for mm-hmm. how many years, do you think? Yeah, I think she opened in 97. So oh, 11th, yeah. 11th in Ogden is where she is. And, you know, um, they've they've definitely... Yeah, I would say that they were kind of pioneers in this market for sure, um, doing a lot of this stuff before anyone else was really talking about it. Um, And she'll – I remember talking to her. Part of it's seasonal menu, so they change their menu all the time. You see a lot of restaurants doing that, bringing in some of the winter crops and things like that that actually do still grow. Um, You know, doing some more of the innovative things. There are farms now that do hothouse tomatoes, that do greenhouses that can actually grow produce in the winter. People, you know, you see preserving. Actually, I've seen a lot of restaurants that will now can and preserve in this season to really preserve the, to get use out of this produce that we're getting um, later in the year uh, so they can roll it out for whatever um, stockpiling, stockpile things like beans, potatoes, that kind of stuff. So you can still put together a pretty extensive local menu without supplementing from other states. But like I said, you also get, you know, Restaurateurs at least trying to remain domestic or close as close by as possible. Where can I get a good butternut squash martini? Butternut squash martini? Really? I, you know, I don't know. I'll make you one. <laughs> that sounds horrible. I've been waiting for Does you. To, really? Been waiting for you to offer all night, Josh. A little nutmeg. <laughs> It would, mean, be a, it would be a winter martini. A winter martini. Yeah. What what alcohol would you put in that whiskey? Um, I don't know. Or vodka. A little bit of everything. Or a little vodka. bit of everything. Yeah. Vodka, new flavor. So. Or uh, or 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 a, uh, an orange liqueur, like a Grand Marnier. Yeah. Well, that might be good. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. If someone, if I'll get cracking. Think, think up any fall uh, drinks involving squash. All right. Fall drinks involving that's squash. That's going to be the next trend right. that's going to yeah. come out. <laughs> <laughs> the next trend is that you're going to be in the fields eating, which is sort of almost done. There are the farm mm-hmm. dinners that they do. Farm dinners, and I think, you know, you start – I don't know that I've heard about this in Colorado, but I know there have been some other places that have integrated the restaurant and the farm and everything together so you can actually come as a patron and pick your own food and they cook it up for you. It sounds like, like a pain a in the ass. Yeah. Like, do you want to work that hard? No. Maybe you do. Maybe if you're really... No. Really, I would do it. Picking my own lobster is about where I go, and I only ever did that once. It's not that different. Just dig around in the dirt. Yeah. Okay, um, this is the time on the show when we do Love and Hate, and this is going to be the theme for our 50th anniversary party. 50th um, uh, anniversary <laughs> party? I was, gonna say, I was looking at Wednesday, August 12th, and I was almost at wedding anniversary. Although it does feel like this has been a, uh, a, a marriage-type situation, this podcast. It sure has. Lots of ups and downs. Sure has. A few divorces. A few divorces. Marriages. No kids. Uh, Wednesday, October 12th at Forest Room 5, at 7 p.m. That's right. So what we do here is we name something that we either love or that we hate as um, stupid or as grandiose as we can come up with. Um, and we're hoping you'll join us next week to do that. Jared, what do you love or hate this week? Well, uh, on Saturday, I was up near Rifle uh, on the Western Slope flying around in a tiny five-person airplane uh, trying to capture video footage of uh uh, natural gas drilling rigs, fracking rigs up above the Rome Plateau and having a difficult time keeping the camera steady because of all kinds of updrafts and backdrafts and downdrafts, all kinds of drafts, knocking this plane around. And all that uh, I could think about was how beautiful the autumn colors of the aspen trees are up in the mountains. It is lovely this time of year. And if you haven't gone already, up in the mountains, I would suggest you go and check out the uh, the changing leaves. That's passe. <laughs> no, that's not passe. I second <laughs> you on that one. <laughs> and Laura, what do you love or hate? And all right, I have to do. I have to do two. So um, I got to give a little love. So as a restaurant critic, I have to eat a lot um, all the time. Actually, got to give a little love to my the boot camp I've been going to that has worked with that. <laughs> Um, Bonds of Bodies kicked my ass despite that. Um, the the hate has to go on Saturday while you were frolicking around in the hills with the aspen leaves. Um, I was at the Ogden Theater being denied a glass of water to drink because they charge you $2 for a bottle of water. And eventually I made a scene. I bitched enough and they gave me a free bottle of water. But on principle, I just think that that is wrong. What if somebody is dehydrated? I agree 100%. I hate it. What's your love? My love is my Bonza Bodies, my boot camp. Oh. Yep. Bonza Bodies. I have a love this week, um, Lao Wang Noodle House at 945 South Federal. It was wonderful. It is Chinese food prepared and served by an ancient Taiwanese couple. But the best, the most delicious foods, the best pot stickers I've ever had, and they're famous for their Xiao Long Bao, which are these dumplings that explode a broth into your mouth. You're, you're nodding over there. Yeah, I love that place. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, I'm obsessed with it now as well. Um, that's about all we have for this week. Uh, public service announcement, if you wake up with 
fever, muscle aches, diarrhea, headaches, stiff neck, confusion, and or convulsions. Unless you're hungover, you may have listeria. Or drank a butternut squash martini. Or drank a butternut squash martini or five. Check us out on Facebook. We're also on Twitter at at denverdiatribe.com. Until next Wednesday, we're live. We are now. That's why I'm saying, oh, we're sitting down.